This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Jules Kramer. Hey. Lucas Rubelke. Yo, yo. We've got Stephen Fluin, who is also hanging with Jules and filling in. Hey there. Uh, we also have Zach Chappell. Hey, everybody. Now, Zach, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? My name is Zach Chappell. I'm an architect here at uh, Career Builder, uh, an NGConf speaker, and I'm also a member of the Angular uh, CLI team. Very cool. Now, what we have on the docket, as far as our calendar goes, is performance. So not Angular CLI. We might have to revisit that. You want to give us a little bit of background as far as what you've done on uh, performance with Angular? Yeah, so um, one of the things I've been working on as part of my NGA Comp talk was um, performance tuning, not just around Angular, but also for the browser itself, trying to write applications that are performant, but also how to quantify that performance. So it's it's really easy to be theoretical about things, but when you actually try to measure it, that's where the uh, rubber hits the road. Now, are you talking Angular 1 or Angular 2 or the web in general, or where are we at here? Uh, mostly the web in general and Angular 1. Uh, Angular 2, hopefully I'll have some material around that um, maybe after it's released. Gotcha. So what I want to know is really, truly, how fast is fast? I mean, how do you even quantify that? And that's one of the hard things to do, right, is to quantify what is fast. But I think one of my slides kind of said it well. Is it's that magical feeling that you get when things are just right. And I think that's different for everyone. With more cowbell, some, right? Right. Can you give me some metrics on you know, kind of what you look at? Um, so I'm thinking of, you know, Steve Sauters, you know, he has done a lot of really good talks on web performance. Um, I use site speed, uh, I.O., a Go plugin quite a bit, and so if I'm doing something in a project, it's pretty easy to drop that in um, as a Go plugin. You get a really good like dashboard, and they kind of have some agreed upon metrics um, that like these are kind of the best practices for performance. But I would love to hear your take coming from an Angular side. You know what you kind of look at and what you kind of quantify and what those metrics are. Around like the the website itself, I tend to use stuff that runs in the browser uh, rather than something that's more of a Go plugin. So um, I use PerfMap and Performance Analyzer, the two that I use that plug into Chrome pretty nicely. 
Um, and those give me metrics around different parts of the page as well as like request timings and, and stuff like that. But I've actually used uh, Batarang quite a bit to do my Angular 1 performance testing, and I had a couple slides around that too. And that gave me some good information on, uh, sorry, I just got a message asking to uh, describe those two plugins. They are, um, one is PerfMap, and it's uh, offered by Umar, and that's a Chrome plugin. And the other is Performance Analyzer from Michael Merwitz. Um, and those two are both Chrome plugins. And then um, I, I use Batarang quite a bit for the Angular 1 stuff because it gives, you know, watcher counts and digest cycle timings and all that fun stuff. So uh, what, what exactly, what information do you get out of PerfMap and Performance Analyzer? It, a whole boatload of stuff. So if you pull them up, um, the nice thing about per, um, the Performance Analyzer is it will actually break down um, how many requests you ha- your page has, the domains is hitting, uh, requests for host, time to first byte, all the nitty-gritty performance API stuff that you know the browser has and you could dig in yourself, but it gives it to you some in some nice graphs that make it easier to understand that you could share with people pretty quickly. Very cool. And Performance Analyzer is kind of the same thing? Yeah, well, that was Performance Analyzer. So, and then Perfmon um, gives you Perfmon. timings in, in a graph on the page that says, you know, if you have multiple components on a page or multiple, um, I, I don't want to call them portlets, but multiple parts of a page, it'll tell you which ones are the slow ones. Um, and, and it gives timings for the load times of those individual components. Gotcha. I, and I think Bettering took some of that and wrapped it for Angular 2, but that's more, it's still a work in progress. Now, you found, is there a sweet spot in terms of, like, you know, how many watchers you have in a page or how many, you know, bindings? I know initially, kind of anecdotally, it was like, you know, 10,000 things on the page you could bind to before you know, things started to get a little little heavy. And there's actually a demo I did a long time ago of some balls bouncing around the screen, which kind of became a, you know, kind of like a performance demo of like, hey, we can have these 10,000 balls flying around the screen and nothing really falls apart. Do you kind of have a sense of when like what that number may be, or if you were just advising, let's say your best friend, you know, over a beer, like, Hey, you're doing this angle app, make sure you keep the watchers under like this X number. What would so, that be? So the magic number that I've, I've seen, at least in the apps I've worked on is, is around 5,000. At the 10,000, it starts to get scary, but then we also had a page that was getting up to the 30 or 40,000s. And uh, that was particularly noticeable for, even for the users. So if you're not doing too much on the page and you just expect people to look at the data, you could even go higher, right? But if you want the user to actually interact with that data, then obviously you want that number to be lower. So it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. But there, with Angular, there is really no hard rule, right? So do you measure – I'm going to go back to Lucas's first question for a minute. So do you measure all of this by feel so it feels fast enough? Or do you actually pull some hard numbers off of this? Do you, like, how, how responsive the back end is or uh, how long it takes before it actually loads up and you can use it? I've heard a lot of metrics here. We actually had a talk at JS Remote Conf about web performance. And I think that's something that's kind of been missing. A lot of the places use, like, New Relic or Splunk to do analytics around their API timings and how quick the APIs respond. And then there's people who look at, you know, the page speed and how fast the page took to render. But the side that they're kind of missing is the is the interaction side for the user. You know, just because your API responds in five milliseconds, it doesn't mean that that 25 meg response got down to the user in that speed. So what we I started to track, and it was actually 
really easy to do in Angular is, um, you know, how long are the XHR requests taking to come back? Um, how long are the route changes taking to actually resolve and complete? And that's the that's the sweet spot of performance that really matters, I guess. You know, if, if the responses are lazy loaded and not all the assets are lazy loaded, you can get away with a lot of things. But if the user's navigation throughout the app is slow, that's where it really hurts. Hey, Zach. Yes, Jules. Hey, I have a question maybe going a slightly different direction. So I know that you had uh, written a lot of lines of code in Angular 1, written some fairly large apps, but I also happen to know from personal experience with you that you've delved into Angular 2 and you've started working on big apps with Angular 2. So I'm curious how your experience with evaluating performance is different between writing Angular 1 apps and Angular 2 apps. It's been a little bit harder um, initially with Angular 2 simply because um, some of the stuff that I was using to measure uh, wasn't there yet. So um, especially like the hooks I was working on with the router were not available in the new router yet. I was able to hack those in uh, or I'd say monkey patch those in and um, get it going again, but it wasn't quite the same because the uh, component router behaves differently than um, we were using UI router in that other application. So they behave differently. So it's not really an apples to apples comparison. And at the same time, watchers are gone, right? So uh, you have to completely change how you're measuring things. So I'm looking to leverage zones quite a bit more when it comes to that. But I'm kind of waiting for things to land a little bit before I start uh, reworking the, the library that I wrote to um, do a lot of this for me into an, an Angular 2-centric methodology. Cool. So let's say that I have an application and I pull it up on my laptop and it's fast, it's good. And then I pull it up on my phone and it's slow and it's terrible. How do you start figuring that out? And that's where a lot of the stats and even like bench press kind of have some room for growth because, you know, bench press, which I think Igor uh, worked on quite a bit, tests the speed of a component itself in isolation. But like you said, you have no visibility into the user's actual experience. So that's where having those hooks into the app itself in production, you know, actual production usage comes into play because then uh, you can start to look at the user's bandwidth. You can start to look at the, the render times and the component resolve times and actually figure out how fast the um, app is working in, in reality, right? And that's one of the other cool things that you could actually test because the performance API gives you all the information you need to um, get the user's bandwidth. So um, it also gives you opportunities to tweak the experience to their bandwidth. Hey, Zach, I know that the topic was on performance, but I think one of the things that is interesting about you in particular, and I'm fortunate to have had some days in a room with you, is that you are one of the first people who really embraced taking a large Angular 1 application and moving it to Angular 2. So aside from just performance, I wonder if you were, again, as Lucas said, were over beers with a friend, and I hope it's really good beer, because otherwise I will judge you harshly. Um, <laughs> so no PBR. No, no PBR. Although, you know, I just got a canned beer for the first time in years last night. I haven't tried it yet, but they told me it's a great way to bring beer on big, long hikes, because then you can just smash down the, the can. So I'm pretty excited to try it. Um, nice. But anyway, my question was more to bring you to, because I think one of the things that you can give to our listeners is sort of that experience you've had in, in doing a little bit of upgrade and, and migration work from one to two. 
Yeah, so as you can imagine, that that application upgrade was um, actually still in progress. is quite an undertaking. Um, it was a you know, over a quarter million lines of code and worked on by eighty some odd developers for one front end application. And I guess the easiest way to start with that was actually with the CLI because that gave us the patterns and it gave us all the infrastructure. So we didn't really have to think about how to set up the application. So we, we took the CLI and used that to create our components and to create um, kind of a base app. And then we started working that back into our existing app and tweaking it to, to work. And eventually the entire app would then get refactored into the CLI. So we upgrades will be easier in the future. But that was our initial starting point. And it made sure that all of the files were fitting the uh, the patterns that we wanted to have in terms of structure and style guide. But I mean, we, it, the, one of the things you have to keep in mind too is you is you can't, especially in big apps, you can't just do a big bang approach. You have to figure out what your leaves are and then um, start from there. So we went through and figured out what components we could do first. And actually, the one of the things that we had our other uh, developers working on in the meantime was moving to the one five components. And that way, when we refactor them to the Angular 2 components, it's just a step closer. And uh, some groups were actually taking it so far as to moving them to TypeScript Angular 1.5 components. And then um, that made, again, the, the conversion even easier. So just to be clear, you have a big app that you're converting from Angular 1 to Angular 2. Are you converting it now to Angular 2, or are you waiting for it to come out of beta? Um, it's already in progress, and some parts should be in production shortly, and um, the other parts will hit as they're completing development. I don't think we're going to wait for production to um, flip that switch because we have enough confidence in, in the Angular team, and there's been enough communication with the Angular team that we're, we're very confident with what they're doing. You know, That level of trust is something that I think that the team has earned, and I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I guess my hesitation just comes from the fact that since it is still in beta, there are probably still pieces that are a little bit in flux. It seems like they've pretty well stabilized on the API, so it should be a safe bet. But there's a little part of me that hesitates just a little bit just because it still has that beta flag on it. When you lock down versions on stuff, you could push and give yourself time to refactor, right? Yeah, that's true. Because you're not going to have an NPM install with a with a tilde or a carrot, you know, in production, you're going to lock down those versions. And once you get to that point, you really don't have to worry about it, right? Because it's just the code going forward and you have time, you know, if you're following agile development to, to take a step back and refactor. And that's one advantage of the CLI is it generates stuff in the correct pattern and correct structure. So as updates to the style guide come and the CLI updates, you'll be able to see those changes and then respond accordingly. So maybe bringing it back to performance a little bit, one of the kind of design goals of Angular 2 is to dramatically improve performance. Do you have any initial results? I know you mentioned your benchmarking tools uh, haven't caught up yet, but uh, just in terms of some of the user experiences that you're building, um, as well as what you're seeing, kind of the Chrome Dev tools, um, any initial results there? Because the apps are so large, they're not all in Angular 2. So there is actually, um, I hate to say this, a slight degradation in performance simply because you're running both simultaneously. There's more weight on the browser in terms of download size. Uh, but as that the Angular 1 stuff gets pulled out, um, we expect performance to increase quite a bit, right? Because we're not pulling down both uh, frameworks simultaneously. So the short answer is no, I haven't had a chance to see that yet. Long answer is um, we, we know it's coming. Well, and it's a tough topic, too. And we, it is a tough topic to keep the, the momentum going, especially given you know some of the changes to the tooling, too. 
Right. Yep. Well, and that's that's one thing I'm hoping will keep up. And I, I've tried to communicate with those groups as much as possible, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'd really like to have the performance tuning stuff back into uh, Batarang. And I think I opened an issue on GitHub for that because they didn't put it in the Angular 2 version. And it's something that they're going to try to get into it, but they just haven't had time to yet. Are you working with them on trying to implement that? I know you do a bunch of open source contributions. Yeah, I offered to help on that. And um they said that they're gonna. They're actually something on their roadmap already, so they're gonna try and tackle it. Cool. So one other question that I'm I'm wondering about a little bit here is a lot of people are going towards single page apps, and I hear all kinds of advice from people as far as getting that initial load time down. And so what they usually, you know, I've heard both ends. You know, put as load as much of it as you can into Angular or whatever your front end framework is, and then just kind of get a skeleton loaded so that it loads really, really fast, you know, from the back end. And then, you know, it can get what it needs to kind of fill in the blanks as it goes on the front end. And then I've heard other people say, yeah, but then you don't have a functional page until it makes five more requests to get more data or even just one more request that says, give me all the data I need for the first render. Where do you come down on that for performance? Does it make more sense to sideload everything from the API and then just give people kind of a framework page? Or do you do it the other way and load all the information in and then make the page kind of come to life as you load the behaviors from Angular? So I, I've actually seen all those approaches, and it really depends on what the experience you're trying to go for is. So one of the, one of the ways uh, the application I worked on with uh, when I came out to see Jules, they pulled down the vast majority of things on, on actually the login page then anything that was missing would get lazy loaded as needed, and they used OC lazy load. And um, that helped a little bit with the size, but at the same time, it just felt like it was still too large because there, it, it pull, had to pull down a lot of stuff that they weren't able to lazy load, like filters and um, a lot of the directives they wanted to still pull in because they had no idea when they might be leveraged. So you had to pull it all in. Um, I've seen... People try to do some of that on the server in Angular 1 where they inline stuff on the server and then cache it. That I actually kind of like, um, and it leads more towards like the Angular universal pattern that's coming out where you can start compiling things and, and caching them on the server side. And I think that's going to help performance quite a bit. And I, I really look forward to actually starting to use that. But at the same time, you, you don't want to like have too big of that first hit, right? So... You don't want to have a you know, five meg page because you inline the world and sent it down if the user doesn't have the bandwidth to handle that, right? And if they're not going to see any of that in the initial page view, that like the login or whatever, there's really no reason to do that. You should be able to just send in the simplest thing possible and then progressively load through uh, you know web workers or whatever the rest of your content. So you just and put up some spinners and say, hey, the rest of this is coming? Well, hopefully you don't need to do that, right? Because, you know, login, that, that takes a period of time. You should be able to intelligently know what the next logical step is. And because you're doing analytics on your user and tracking of your users, you know, um, you know, logically my users go from page A to page B. So I can start lazy loading page B while they're on page A. Um, if they happen to go to C instead, then maybe you have to throw up a spinner because you haven't got there yet. But if you start tracking your user's behavior and the path through the application, um, you can begin to lazy load in that order. That's actually really interesting. 
Because I think a lot of times we don't think about sort of the analytical part of this and we just, okay, well, you know, what's the technical solution to this as opposed to, well, let's gather some information and then intelligently choose what we do and what we don't do for performance. Yeah, that was actually one of my series of um, favorite slides as part of the ng-conf talk was we, as developers, we kind of imagine that we're creating the yellow big road, right? And then what we kind of end up hoping for at the end of the day is more like Dora the Explorer, where you can go to these magical places and there's multiple ways to get there and you kind of have to find your route. But in the end, what we usually end up with is, is a bowl of spaghetti and we're trying to hop from meatball to meatball. What we really need to do is is understand which meatballs they're trying to get to and um, at, at least try to make that trip a little bit shorter. <laughs> Those analogies were really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, the, you know the analogy that, really that I, I would create is, you know, you could pave a road straight from Salt Lake City to Los Angeles, but you'd wind up paving a road through a whole lot of nothing, and people would probably detour to uh, Las Vegas anyway. So why not build the highway to Las Vegas and then to Los Angeles? I guess you like Vegas. Not particularly, but that's the way the highway actually goes. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for the Hyperloop. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of thinking and talking about performance. I mean, we've, we've touched on a bunch of them in terms of page load time, uh, responsiveness. So Google actually has a, a framework for modeling that, the, the, they call Rail, um, which looks at response, animation, idle, load. Um, how do you think about performance? I mean, are there different components that, that are more important to you? So I think the time to first interaction is, is what I consider one of the key things around performance. I mean, when can a user actually do something on my page? And the, the performance API built into the browser actually has that. So that's something that I try to leverage as much as possible. I actually haven't seen Rail yet. I'm actually going to take a peek at that after this. Yeah, I dropped a link in the chat for the show notes. So can performance, I mean, we when we talk about performance, we're usually talking about speed. And so, you know, if you have too many different objects in memory that you have to kind of sort through or page through or whatever, iterate over, then... A lot of times that can cause some slowdowns. You know, uh, I think the classic performance in Angular 1, we start talking about watchers and, you know, how many watchers do you have and how long does it take for everything to kind of update itself and go through that loop as many times as it has to. But can you also, for example, have memory problems that slow things down? In other words, I remember when I was doing sort of low-level programming, sort of operational operating systems type programming, you'd actually have to page out memory and stuff like that. Do you run into that kind of thing where you hit up against a memory barrier with your applications and have to deal with that? On one of our pages that would get into like the 40,000, 50,000 um, watchers and actually just keep going infinitum, I think that's what was happening, but it was really hard to track down because the page would just stop responding. And so there was really hard to actually test, but we, we did figure out how to cut those watchers down and that did drop that memory pressure. At least that's what I'm assuming it was. Chrome is actually one of the few browsers that implemented the memory part of the uh, user timing or user performance API. So they're the only ones that support that right now. And that is something that you can track the JavaScript heap size and you can see how much of that's being used. But with Chrome being the only one to support it, it's you know not the easiest, easiest thing to use to profile your app. But I actually kind of want to agree but disagree with the statement about speed is the only thing that comes to mind to performance because I think efficiency is also the other thing that we should look at because um, like I was joking about Dora the Explorer, I mean, Performance is great if you have a fast and snappy app, but you have, if you have to have 20 clicks to get to something valuable, 
that's not efficient. So that also degrades performance, but not in the way that you would usually expect. So trying to optimize things to come down to faster the browser is one thing, but optimize things in such a way that your user gets to the value quickest, um, I think is something that we need to really pay attention to. So what you're saying is, is instead of focusing just on how quickly can I get the data into the page, how quickly can I actually serialize the information from the data so that people can do stuff with it or deserialize it? Right. I mean, how quick can the user get to the data and how quick can the user get value out of the data, right? right. Because if I got to click through three accordions and four tabs to get to something I actually want to see, uh, it doesn't matter how fast your page is because it's inefficient and therefore it feels slow because it's cumbersome. Okay. So performance is about experience as well. Correct. At this point, you're not optimizing then for the computer's time. You're actually optimizing for the user's time. Right, because that's what, who we're really trying to target in the end, right? We're, we're not servicing and we're not building things for computers. We're building them for people. And we need to take that interaction into effect. No, no, no. We're building for computers. Like, you know, people are just <laughs> on the verge. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Yep. I, I, I'm very disappointed I didn't get to uh, get in one of the self-driving cars while I was out there. So maybe on the next trip, we'll have to do that. Well, we were just fortunate enough to have the Angular team lunch in which we also had the ludicrous versus insane Tesla mode race off on the way back. That sounds safe. It, well, <laughs> self-driving. They stop. That's true. You know, what, one of the things we missed is the whole conversation around HTTP 1.1 versus 2. And yeah, that might I keep be hearing that, but I... About. I keep hearing, like, it's going to make it better because of this and that, but are we ever actually going to get there? Well, a lot of browsers, I mean, the browsers already support it, and there is pages already using it. It's been kind of held up by the CDNs and the people actually deploying the apps, right? Okay. So if you deploy your app in a way that supports HTTP2 and your CDNs support it, then you can actually start leveraging some of it for the, the, the users who um, happen to be on a browser that supports it. But an interesting thing is Akamai put out a really cool demo that shows the difference between HTTP 1, uh, 1, 1.1 and 2. And um, it's something that I put inside my PowerPoint for this uh, pre-NGConf. But it's really dramatic when you look at how much faster the app can come down when you don't have to worry about the waterfall effect of you can only pull down six to, you know, five to ten assets at a time. And it also allows you to be more granular with how your app's broken up, right? So then you can cache at the file level rather than having the cache at a bundle level. So then if you make changes, you can um, only bust the cache on one part of your app and the rest of it stays cached. So that helps performance as well. So, um, you know, you, you lose the bundles, but you're not really losing anything because it comes down just as fast, if not faster. And then uh, along similar lines, what about WebSockets? Are you using any sort of WebSockets for performance reasons? Um, I will with Angular 2. With, with Angular 1, I didn't have to because we just used what was available to us, but we're going to turn it on with Angular 2 and leverage what's natively available. I don't foresee writing any manually. I'm just going to use what comes with Angular 2. One of the things, Zach, that you haven't talked about really is how the performance testing you do you know, impacts mobile. And so I'm curious if you have any experience there. So with mobile, one of the things that we often forget is it's not just the difference in screen size. 
um, a lot of times it's a difference in bandwidth. So part of performance testing is finding out what resolution the user's at. That's well and good. It allows us to do responsive design and we can progressively load images, right? But the other thing to be cognizant of is the user's bandwidth. And once we started testing that, it was interesting to see that, you know, if a user's on Wi-Fi, hey, we can send down bigger things than if they're on, you know, 3G. And once you have that information, it becomes extremely powerful because then you can start to not just lazy load, but just stop loading and or not load something. You know, why send down a 4K image to someone who's on a phone that can handle it, but doesn't have the bandwidth to handle it. So um, just because it would look pretty doesn't mean that you should send it down. Is that the only thing, though? I mean, how does the fact that your phone usually doesn't have the computing power of your computer affect things? Well, you can start to do some of that, but a lot of the apps that we're actually working on, right, are, uh, at least the ones I've been working on, are not big data apps in the sense that, you know, I'm looking at proteins folding and stuff, right? Uh, I'm looking at somewhat more simplistic data, and the phones these days can handle it. I mean, I, I have an iPhone 6 Plus, and, you know, most people around me have you know, S6s and stuff. So the phones can handle it in terms of that. But for like what you're saying, though, um, we can scale it back for performance because you can watch the digest time, at least in Angular 1. One of the things that um, I found it useful to send back was not just the count of watchers, but also the, how long the digest cycles took. So um, once you have that information, you can start to scale things back, maybe do some uh, heavier uh, restriction on how much data you send down, but then you start to possibly cause other issues because the user is having to make more requests, which can slow things down. So it really depends on how you want your app to behave. One other question I have is that it's it's one thing to monitor performance, say, you know, in development or on staging. How do you actually keep track of it on production? Do you have some kind of instrumentation that you install there as well, or... So I, I wrote a small library called I called it Heimdall, which I thought was fun because he kind of watches over everything. And I used that to monitor applications in production. And it basically will just send those stats up to any arbitrary URL and, and allow you to do um, stats on it or um, do tuning on it. And that proved pretty useful um, because it gave us a good chunk of information on how the app's actually behaving. There's a lot of room for growth in that in terms of how to leverage that data, but until you have the data, you can't really decide what you want to do with it. So the, the, that's kind of the best way to do that because you can hook into all kinds of different things, at least in the in the 1.5 world that we were able to um, hook into the um, digest cycle and, and the uh, watchers and be able to start tracking that. With Angular 2, I think it'll be also easy. I just need to do some tweaks to accommodate for the changes with zones and stuff. All right, let's do some picks. Lucas, do you have some picks for us? Sure, I do have some picks. Uh, my pick this week is actually uh, Deborah Carada did an Angular 2 Getting Started course on Pluralsight that I checked out last week, and I thought it was actually really quite well done, and uh, I was really impressed with just the overall production value and the material and the content. I thought it was... Really, really quite good. So a uh, big thumbs up to uh, Deborah for putting out a, a great Angular 2 course on Pluralsight. And that is uh, my pick one. Uh, pick two is I'm doing an Electron workshop at NGConf. And Electron is just amazing. So you basically take 
any kind of web app, and you can just wrap it in Electron, and now you have a desktop app, and I think everybody should Electron all the things. And those are my picks for the week. And just for a note, Deborah is also going to be at NG Comp speaking, and she's awesome, so check it out. We should get a link in the show notes to the episode we did with her as well. And if you're at NG Comp and you see Deborah, please give her a high five for being awesome. Yep. We are definitely coming up on NG Comp, aren't we? Yes, we are. All right. Uh, while we're on the topic, I guess I'll bring this up. We are going to be doing a meetup on the 5th. I don't have the location yet. Uh, if you go to adventuresinangular.com and sign up for the mailing list, I'm definitely going to be sending out an email letting you know where to go where to meet up. It'll be close to the conference venue. And I shouldn't have any trouble lining that up since I'm actually here in Salt Lake. So keep an eye out for that. And we'll try and uh, get the information posted in the show notes before the show comes out. But yeah, it'll be on the 5th. It'll be right after the last talk. And we'll just miss the first little bit of the game night that night. Jules, do you have some picks for us? I do. But first, let me update on my pick from last week. So remember last week, (laughs) <laughs> My pick was thingsorganizedneatly.tumblr.com. And so, yes, we did, in fact, try to recreate the Lucky Charms uh, organization. However, please note that once you touch about 10 Lucky Charms, your fingers end up completely saturated in stickiness. And so we never succeeded. But it was a really valiant attempt. My picks this week are two. So first, I um, most of you or some of you probably know that I actually live in Southern California, but I work here in Angular's Mountain View headquarters. So I am on a plane every Monday and every Wednesday, and I fly a little tiny airplane, seven-seaters, and so we fly a little bit low to the ground. And one of the things I'm always trying to figure out is what's underneath me. Um, I'm afraid of flying, so I spend the whole time looking out the window. And uh, a, a new app came out this week called Fly Over Country, and you can get it on iPhone and on Android apps. And I've been using it, and it's freaking awesome if you're flying because it basically uh, uses your GPS, and it will tell you what's on the ground underneath of you. Not only will it tell you things like river names and mountain range names, but it will also tell you like how old the sediment is that's underneath of you. And it's kind of weird to pull up your phone and all of a sudden see that there's 66-million-year-old 66 sediment that you're flying over. So really cool app. If you fly a lot, I highly recommend it. And my second pick is Snapchat. And really important because we're actually going to get an NG comp filter for Snapchat, courtesy of uh, Tracy Lee. And I really thought I was old because I couldn't understand how to use Snapchat. So I had to get my 15-year-old daughter to give me a lesson over the weekend. Um, She's not a great teacher, but I think I finally figured out at least how to do basic activity on it. So Snapchat. We're going to be Snapchatting at NG Comp. Oh, I want to jump in. I'm sorry. Don't get mad. I have another pick. Can I go? Is it cool? Yes, you can go. <laughs> Lucas. So, I just, so I just finished actually the book Ask Gary V by Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like one of my favorite kind of web guru, you know, kind of marketing personalities. And he spends a lot of time talking about Snapchat. And how it's really going to be kind of the social media platform um, of the future, uh, especially among you know teenagers, and really some interesting things. But Ask Gary V, that book is phenomenal. And if you even have an ounce of entrepreneurial spirit and hustle in your bones, go check that book out. Everything he says is amazing, but this is easily his best book yet. Yeah, we should see if we can. You know, since we're a big show now, we should see if we can get Gary V to come on for a bonus episode and tell us all how to use Snapchat. I will. I'll reach out to him and okay. see if he can come on the show. Yeah, awesome. Okay, Stephen, do you have some picks for us? So my pick would be uh, Betterment, 
So a service I just started trying out, trying to actually get some control of my investments in 401ks and things like that. What is it? Oh, a website? No, is it a service? Like, yeah, what so, is it? so website is a better end. It's got a website and an app. The idea is that you tell it kind of how you want to invest or basically what level of risk you want. Uh, and then it kind of automatically puts you into those those categories and buckets. And then you theoretically never need to look at it because I, I'm a big fan of the idea that uh, savings of any kind are, are best kind of forgotten. Okay, I'm going to check back in with you in like, you know, five years and see how that, you know, ignorance of where your investment is, is going. Sounds good. That is one heck of an Adventures in Angular follow-up right there. Five <laughs> years. Where are they now? That's you might right. be on like Angular 6 by then or something like that. Yep. We need to remind me of five years. Yeah. Alias here. All right. I've got a couple of picks I'm going to throw out there. The first one, so I kind of changed a few things. I'm still changing a few things with uh, devchat.tv and other aspects of the business that I've got going on over here. And I have to say that, first of all, I am addicted to Upwork now uh, for getting crap done. Uh, you can find people at pretty much every range of price and experience you want. So, for example, I just listed a job for some data entry. And, you know, I'll get somebody that, you know, doesn't have to be too terribly talented, can log into WordPress and enter stuff. But I've I also hired a bookkeeper off of Upwork. She is not a couple dollars an hour. She is also very talented and has done a terrific job for me. So it's worked out really nicely. Also, our transcriptionists, if you're interested, uh, are all hired on Upwork. So super awesome stuff there. And uh, I really just really like the service. You, you sometimes have to be a little bit discerning about who you hire, but it's worked out really nicely. The other pick I have besides Upwork and uh, the fact that I did find a really awesome bookkeeper that has made me very happy with the way this has all gone is QuickBooks Online. Uh, I tried it several years ago, and I just was totally lost with it. And maybe this time my experience is better because I can just go ask my bookkeeper what's going on, and she just tells me, okay, click here, click here, click here. Okay, this is what you need to review. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I look at it, and we get it all fixed up right. Anyway, QuickBooks Online is my other pick, and uh, I'm really liking it. Also on the avenue of Upwork, I put out a job for video editors uh, to see who I could get to edit the conference videos for the remote conferences and stuff. And interesting enough, you know, I got like 30 people that bid on the job and they all bid under $20 for each video. So, you know, I'm just trying them out. I hired like eight of them because I figured that was worth it to me to find somebody that I, you know, then had something I could pull out and say, yeah, I want the person who did this because it's awesome. So anyway, really enjoying that. So those are my picks. Uh, Zach, what are your picks? So I have two as well, uh, one of which is Crazy Egg. And uh, that's actually something I, I love using to track user interactions and find out what people are actually doing on the application, as well as um, just to provide another data set. And uh, the other is Grafana. And uh, Grafana is a, a beautiful charting library uh, that I'm using to track the analytics for um, everything from Google Analytics to the custom stuff that I'm sending up to Splunk, and I'm pulling it all into uh, one dashboard, and that uses Grafana. So those are fantastic tools, and I, and I use them quite a bit. Very cool. Well, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up the show. Uh, say hi to all the folks at CareerBuilder for me. Uh, I will. We'll wrap this up, and we'll catch you all next week or at NGConf. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 